0: All right. Good evening, church. We're going to have uh, Charlie doing the opening prayer, Mike Wall doing the Lord's Supper, and Paul Securo doing the closing prayer. We're going to start out with Our God He is Alive. Okay, we all ready to sing? Everybody ready to praise God? Amen. Okay, here we go.
1: There is
2: Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come together and worship you, to bring our prayers before you, and Father, to uh, learn more about your word. Father, we pray that our service, that our worship is pleasing to you and uplifting to us. Father, we thank you so much for the great love that you have for us. We know that we often fail you, that we do things that we shouldn't, that we commit sins, Father, and you love us anyway, and Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your Son to set a perfect example here on earth and then to die a terrible death for our sins. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have through him. We thank you for the hope. And we do long for the day that we'll be in heaven with you. Father, we as a congregation have uh, determined to try to spread your word in this community and in other places as we have opportunity. And Father, we pray that you'd be with those that are working in that. Father, we pray that you would give us opportunities to spread your word. That you'd uh, give us chances to just meet people and and point them to you father help those to be successful in bringing people to you father we have a number of people in our congregation that are struggling with serious health problems we pray that you'd be with them comfort them heal them help us to reach out and serve them in any way that we can help us to encourage them Father, we thank you for all the good things that you provide for us. We thank you for all the blessings that you provide. Father, we pray that as uh, Matt speaks to us tonight, that you would give him a ready recollection of those things he's prepared. Help us to be good listeners. And please bless our time here together this evening. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.
0: Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can...
3: from Luke chapter 22, the account of the Last Supper, the last time that the Lord ate with his disciples before his crucifixion. I like the Luke account because it it sheds some, some light. It gives a little bit different perspective than the other Gospels and account in the letter to the Corinthians and uh, just kind of makes me think a little more so if you remember in Luke 22 this is this is where Jesus has uh, given his disciples the the direction to go uh, how how to prepare the Passover and then beginning in verse 14 it says when the hour came I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, the idea that you were able to send your son, willing to send your son, to be a sacrifice for us is just one of the most amazing things that we can think of, that we can imagine, that you would give, give up perfection in order to allow us to, to have our relationship with you restored. Father, we thank you so much that you were willing to do that, that Jesus was willing, even though he with sweat drops of blood, begged for another way to accomplish it. When you said no by your silence, he accepted. And Father, we're so thankful that he did. Thank you now as we partake of this tiny piece of bread that reminds us that this, this represents his body, reminds us of the sacrifice that he gave so that we could have eternal life with you. We pray this in his name. continue reading here in Luke 22, beginning in verse 20, you might notice that this is the second time that it says that he took the cup. I think that's the only only gospel that, that tells us that. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Let us pray. Again, Father, we're so thankful for your son's love for us and his love for his disciples. The gentleness that he had with the one who was gonna betray him. who was sitting right there a few feet from him. He let the others know what was going on, but he didn't, he didn't rail against the man. I believe he left opportunity for repentance. Father, help us to, to recognize your grace, your mercy, when we betray you in any way, you're so willing to bring us back, accept us back, because of the sacrifice that he's made. So now as we take the, the cup, it represents the new covenant that was inaugurated that night, help us help us to remember how precious that blood is. completely washes away our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I say a prayer, before the offering, just a reminder that the boxes are in the back if you need to, to make your contribution. Lord, we're so blessed. You bless us in ways that are very obvious and evident every day, in ways that aren't so obvious, we don't even, probably don't even think about the, what goes into it. Taking a good breath goes into nourishing our bodies and providing for for all of our physical needs. Father, we thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our families. We thank you for the love that you surround us with. And Lord, we pray that that as we make a contribution to your work, we do so with a willing heart with joy, with thankfulness that we have something to share. Lord, please bless everything that we give to multiply your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Okay, now we're going to sing. My hope is built on nothing less. Okay, let me get this pitch first. (laughs) My hope is.
1: Oh Bye.
4: For those of you who came this morning you had a little bit of fun, we're going to try to have a little bit of fun going through the difficult concept of the Holy Spirit and trying to figure that out a little bit more each time we get into it Um, and the reality of it being the guide for our life. Tonight we're back in the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 8, chapter 7. We had a fun time with. Um, chapter eight is a lot of continuation really of chapter seven, which really, if you, what you will see as we get to the very end is that every, every vision that Daniel has really is building on each other. And it's all talking about the same people for the most part as well. So Daniel chapter eight, starting in verse one, it says in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. A vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that, which appeared to me at first. So he's telling you this is a continuation right there. That's the language he's using. He's saying this appeared to me after this being what? That vision of the four beasts that we just went over in Daniel 7 that happened in the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar. And he says this, And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision and I was at the Ulai Canal. All of this is in Persia. That's really the most important part about it. If you look at maps and you um, try to narrow this down and try to pinpoint it, a couple people come up with a couple different places, but really the reality of what he's talking about is Persia. He's in Persia. This is where it starts. I raised my eyes and saw and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns and both horns were high. But one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Remember how I told you to look at every little thing. Look for those little details. Notice this. That he says he became great. Okay? Okay. That is something you could just gloss right over, but I think it's significant. I'll show you why in a minute. Clearly in this, he is talking about Persia. As we said, it starts where he's in Persia. The ram is Persia. Now, if you are wondering if I'm right, you can actually get down to the end where Gabriel's given the interpretation and he tells you these exact words, right? Which is why I'm telling it to you now because I want to show you why I think the interpretation is there as well. All right. And if you remember as well, in the four beasts, hitting the wrong button, in the four beasts, Persia was the bear. And the bear had the three ribs in his mouth. And we discussed what those three ribs could be. And one of the, um, hypothesis of the three ribs was the three major areas that Persia conquered under King Cyrus being Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. Now, if you go back and you look here, you will see that we're talking about a ram that is charging westward, northward, and southward. And don't forget as well that we're talking about during the reign of King Belshazzar. Belshazzar is king of Babylon. He's the king of Babylon. All right, he's the not good king that Persia is actually going to come and wipe out through Cyrus on that very day when the hand is writing on the wall that we've already went through. That's that day. This is that king. And he specifically says westward, northward, southward. So if Persia is here, and we'll, get, we'll just go ahead and call the Medes and the Persians the same because really as, as God addresses it in Daniel, he keeps them the same. Then you can see that this area over here all of a sudden moves westward, and also northward, and also southward. And everything that he went after, he conquered. And oh, by the way, Cyrus was known as Cyrus the... He would become great. Not the Mede King. Right? Just as the bear... Rose up on one side. Also talking about Cyrus the Great, not the Mede King, the Persian King. The one that actually comes from the the, the smaller part. He's the one that becomes great. As I was considering, this is verse 5, we're moving on. Behold, a male goat came from the west, across the face of the whole earth, without touching the ground and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So again, he's talking about a country that's going to come after Persia. So you've got Babylon, Persia, right? That is going to destroy Persia. And there would be no one who could stop him. And not only that again as we saw with the four beasts we see this idea of something that is going to happen very swiftly right the goat's feet were not even touching the ground he was moving so fast it was as if his feet weren't even touching the ground he was flying then it says the goat became exceedingly great but when he was strong but when he was strong that conspicuous horn between the eyes of the goat, that great horn was broken. But instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns. So one breaks out of one becomes four. That's starting to sound familiar as well, right? This is the leopard. And the four beasts. The leopard had how many heads? Four. Four heads. Who's this horn? Who's this horn? We're going to know this without a doubt, because as we get down into Daniel in this chapter, you're going to know that it was the first major real king, if you will, of Greece, Alexander, the great, they start over here, which just so happens to be to the West. And they come and take over essentially everything that was once Babylon and Persia. See that? Do you see this time? See where we are? Okay. Babylon. Let's just to keep the math easy. Let's say like. Roughly somewhere between 1100 and 1000 BC. Greece is now, just to keep the math easy, we'll say 450 BC. You're talking about 550 years. 550 years, not just that, but to explain the way he would conquest, explain the fact that this king, this amazing king that would do all of this stuff would kind of all of a sudden out of nowhere, just die, which is exactly what he did. He died in conquest. He died while still trying to take over the world. Alexander the great dies. Right? And in that moment, Greece is split into four kingdoms. These are those kingdoms right here. You got the blue one here, purple one, orange one, the green one. The one that really matters is the Seleucid Empire. This big piece right here. Oh, by the way, notice, what does it still encapsulate? Oh, it still encapsulates... Persia, and it still encapsulates Babylon. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? It breaks into four pieces, but the piece that's going to be the most important piece to everything you're going to hear tonight is this one right here that still encapsulates Persia, Babylon. I want you to realize that this four beast system, it's not four beasts. It's one beast. It's one beast. Now, I'm not trying to make the parts of the map hocus-pocus, okay? Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Yeah. Could you read the other two just for the heart of the scene? The other two what? The Ptolemaic. The the, Ptolomac, the Antigonid. And then you got other Greek states. So these are, this is an alliance here, okay? This is an alliance here, but it's, it's not quite the same type of kingdom that these other three are. Okay? But at the end of the day, the Seleucid Empire is the one I want you to... Don't don't get too distracted. Just understand that there were four regions that were run and that there was one that is extremely important in the conversation. And that just so happens to encapsulate Babylon and Persia. Okay? Verse 9. out of one of them came a little horn out of one of being these four regions. And I've already told you, it's gonna be the Seleucid empire. All right, which grew exceedingly great toward the south toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of the heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Now this is starting to seem, um, I don't know, a little sci-fi, a little outer space, but just hang with me for a minute. It became great, even as great as the Prince of Hosts. Who's the Prince of Hosts? Is that a random person? Prince of Hosts is God. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Whose burnt offering? Whose sanctuary? The Prince of Hosts, God. And the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground. And it will act and prosper. So even though it's evil, even though it's trampling, if you will, on truth, even though it's destroying everything that is godly, it's going to prosper. It's going to continually prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking. and Another holy one said to the one who spoke. For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering. And the transgressions that makes desolate. Remember that. And the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me. For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. So if you've got 2,300 days and that's not a symbolic or mystical number and it's just a regular number, you divide 2,300 divided by 365, what do you get? To keep the math simple, we'll say a little over six years. If you put in a calculator, it's gonna tell you 6.3 roughly, but a little over six years. So for a little over six years, You're going to see God's people not only get abused by this kingdom specifically, but you're going to see atrocities happen like you could never even imagine God allowing to happen. And the whole time this guy who's doing this, he's going to be evil. He's going to be throwing truth to the ground. And no matter what, he's going to prosper. That's got to be a scary thing to hear if you're Daniel. Then I, Daniel, had seen the vision. I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the lie. And it called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. So who's Gabriel? Angel of God. An important angel because God has many and very few are actually named in scripture. He's one that is named for us. So he came near where I stood and when he came I was frightened and fell on my face but he said to me understand O son of man that the vision is for the time of the end. for the time of the end. So that seems like we're talking about what we would know as the second coming, right? Wrong. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles shall arise. This is that king. So he's at the end of the kingdom that has the one horn that turns into the four horns. This is that king. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. And destroying mighty men and the people who are the saints. That is what it's talking about when he uses that language. And it talks about the stars being cast down and in these things of high places. Can you really defeat God? Can you really defeat him? Of course not. But if you were living during this time, based on what it sounds like, would you feel like God was being defeated? If you're in Jerusalem during the time that we're talking about, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, would you feel like, just remember when we go through all this, would you feel like God was being defeated? And this is an interesting part. It says, his power, his power shall be great. This is the third time he said great. The first time was about um, Cyrus. The second time was about Alexander the... And then you got this guy. Then it says, and when he had spoke to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face on the, to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, not the end of time, not the second return of Jesus Christ, but this time for it refers to the appointed time of the end as for the ram that you saw with the two horns. These are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And the goat in the, in the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king, Alexander the Great. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall, he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. Who's the prince of princes? Certainly, at least God, right? Most likely even Jesus. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. You see, this is almost like a Joshua. Do you see that? Whatever he seeks to go and destroy, he's going to be able to destroy. And it doesn't really matter what comes up against him. God says, you won't be able to kill him. You specifically will not be able to kill him. You can raise an army to stop him. You can try everything you want. There's no way you will be able to kill him. He will not die by human hand. He says, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But still up the vision for it refers to many days from now. How many days from now? We're going to get to that in a minute too. So the guy that this chapter is talking about is Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, it is so obvious that it's him that there are many critics of the Bible who say ha! Ha! Gotcha. Daniel 8 has to be written way later than it says it's written because there's no way anybody could write this and be this accurate, this detailed, this far away from the the scene of the crime. Isn't that crazy? Instead of saying, wow, God must have wrote this, they say, that's gotta be counterfeit. Isn't that crazy? It's the world we live in, y'all. So Antichus is actually just Antichus the fourth. This is important too. His father is the king of the Seleucids before him. He's Antichus the third. When he dies, he leaves the kingdom to Antichus the fourth's brother who kills him to make sure he's the rightful king. We're off to a good start, aren't we? About Well, let me say it this way. From the moment he begins to attack Jerusalem, Jerusalem's part of his property, if you will. Right. But 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 Jerusalem is still. Its own people. It's just just like we find with Jesus in the Romans. It's just governed by Greece. And so Antiochus takes a special liking to making the people of Jerusalem not just miserable, but live a life of fear. And he attacks them ruthlessly many times. And from the first time he attacks and really comes in and, and, and takes over till the day that he dies of sickness. And according to the book of Maccabees, it was a sickness given to him by God. From that first day until the day he dies and his successor comes in, guess what he does? Well, one, he closes the temple doors. You're not allowed to make sacrifice anymore. No more burnt offerings for you. He creates an altar to Zeus. Can you imagine that? The Greeks are taking over the world. Think about it. This is your history. This is your 150, 200 years of history that people just, everybody knows. This is your world. This is your present time. The Greeks just ran through everybody. And now one's focusing in on you. And not only are they destroying your religion, but they are mocking your God in the process. Remember how we talked about Gideon this morning and how he he tore down the statue of Baal and and he cut the Asherah pole and, and made a burnt offering on using the wood of the Asherah pole? This is the opposite of that. This is evil coming in and mocking God right to his face in his home court, literally in his temple. Because not only does he put a statue to Zeus for all to worship in Jerusalem, he sacrifices none other than an unclean animal at this time, according to the Jewish law, in the altar of God, defiling, essentially the altar to the Jews. You don't think people were saying, if God was real, how, like, how could he let this happen? I already got there. I should have put that one up further. Sorry. Another thing he did, which is by the way, why he added epiphanies to his name. Epiphanes has two meanings. The first one is similar to like illumination, understanding, coming to a point of wisdom. The other part of Epiphanes means deity. He was claiming to be God. Which is why he went in and mocked the other gods as he conquered the peoples. Which is also why during his time there were idols of him that were to be worshipped by his kingdom. And, of course, he's prospered despite his ungodliness. Now, how long was 2,300 divided by 365? From the day he attacks and shuts the doors of the temple to the day he dies is just a little over six years. And as I said before, the guy who comes in after ends all that day one. Do you see why people are like, hold on. (laughs) If I admit this was written during the time it's said to have been written, if I admit this, like how can you be that right? How can you be that right? Which is why you can understand what Daniel says at the very end. He says, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Imagining not only what the, the, the people of God, the city of Jerusalem, and God himself would be dealing with from this vision. He laid in bed sick. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand. He was appalled by it. Okay. Here's what I got for you tonight. You see, I know Daniel is not the, um, there are definitely certain chapters like this, especially when you get into the prophecies that are, they're, they're not the, the, the prettiest to, um, Draw application from. In fact, a lot of times it kind of comes down to that same application over and over and over again. But I just want to do what the visions have been doing for you as well and keep you up to speed on that. And I want you to see now we're at a place with very specific time frames. And from Belshazzar to Antichrist, the fourth is almost 800 years. And in 800 years, God doesn't only tell Daniel the major players and even some of the names of kings. Specifically, go to Isaiah. Isaiah is talking about Cyrus. I call you by name, he says, Cyrus. Before you were ever born. Or anybody knew who you were. Right? He's giving you details. And then just so somebody later on cannot say, oh, Matt, you know, all this sounds really good. Imagine, imagine if we didn't have that interpretation at the end. Right. Imagine if Gabriel doesn't get involved in the interpretation at the end. Imagine if Daniel doesn't write down the interpretation at the end. You would look at me and you'd say right now in this moment, Matt, that sounds really nice. And maybe that's true. But, you know, really, some of this stuff could really mean anything. No, it can't. Here's the interpretation written before it ever happened. You know, if somebody would have said during this time, hey, Persia's going to end up being... Do I need to go back to the map and remind you how small they were? What about Greece? Before Alexander the Great, was Greece this enormous spot on the map? No, it was a blip too. It's not even that. It's not like somebody up there standing there looking at the world today and going, you know what? I think if China really wanted to, they could probably do some things. Hey, if... um, If America really wanted to, they could probably, hey, if Europe united, these are blips. This is like saying to the world, hey, everybody, watch out, because in the next hundred years, the Bahamas is going to take over North America. I'm serious. And it's perfect. It's exactly the way it happened. If you want proof that the Bible is real, I can't point you to a better book. And my favorite part is this. It's not a riddle. It's written down for you. For all of us so that we can know that the, the, the truth of the Bible is real. It's real. Now, if it's real, and think about the power that's held in it. Think about if you'd had these scrolls from Daniel over that 800 year time period. Think about what you could have done before it ever happened. Think about the advantage you would have in the life as you lived it. That is the Bible today. It's still the truth today. The more we know it, the more we understand it, the more it affects our life, the higher the advantage that we all have in this life, not just the next. So I say, one, study it. Study it. Let it be written on your heart. Let it be written on your mind. Study it, live it, live it, and you will be able to discern it. You know, that's what the Pharaoh said about Joseph this morning. I didn't really read that scripture, but that's what he said. He said, there isn't anybody else in all the land that has the wisdom and discernment of Joseph. You know what else I've noticed as I've been going through? It seems like the world recognizes God before people in, the, in before God's people do. Interesting. So trust God. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in the blood? Have you had your sins forgiven, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And I think pretty much everybody in here has. So I say again, one last time to those of us who are saved, trust it, read it, let it burn on your heart and mind and live it. If there's need to respond to the invitation, you come as together we stand and sing.
5: Couple of announcements. One that I overlooked this morning: John and Sherry Larson have been members here for a long time, and John has cancer in his eye. We know that, but also he has fallen, and and right now he's down in Sea Pines in Melbourne, uh, having recovery uh, for uh, therapy for for his fall. So please continue to pray for John and 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 Sherry that that he might be, have a have a recovery. And she said this morning that that his eye cancer ser- therapy is on hold until after he gets out of out of C. Pines. So that that compounds his compounds is probably even more. Uh, a couple that I mentioned that were not in a bulletin: Nora Hornberger, she is sick with UTI. Please please pray for her. And Jan Ward has a broken ankle t- in two places, is, is what I heard. And uh, and Mickey is in Minnesota uh, with with his with his family uh, f- for his sister that passed away Wednesday. Thank you.
0: How many know this song? Okay, what I want to do is combine verses before we go to the ending. So we're going to combine the first and second verse, and then we're going to do the third and fourth. But we'll first and second go to the ending. Third and fourth go to the ending. Think you follow me? Okay.
1: <laughs> it's me. It's, it's me, Standing in the need of prayer, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, not my father, but my mother, but it's me, oh Lord.
6: saying Mike did that without knowing what I was going to do. <laughs> As I was preparing for the closing prayer tonight, I was looking at our prayer list. And yes, you can call out individuals in the prayer list and be praying for them. But just like his song, it talked about groups. The elders and deacons, the families, When you go through this list, the next time you go through it to say your prayers, take a look at how many families are there, how many people in a single family are there. So you can not only pray for the individuals, but you can pray for the whole family who's got members of the family who are hurting in one way or another. And if you want to go up a step higher, all of us are part of that family. So however high you wanna go, however low you wanna go, we're all included. So when you pray the next time you look at this list, think about how many people are included together who are hurting. Pray with me please. Holy Father in heaven, how thankful we are that we can even call on you and ask for help. Because all of us need it at one time or another. And the one time or another is usually sometime every single day. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come to you. And when we do, all we have to do is remind ourselves what Paul wrote in the Roman letter, that your spirit in us is taking what we say, because we don't know how to say it, and turning it into something that makes sense for all of you so that you can really help. Father, we're so thankful the way you've structured that, and we come to you through your son Jesus because that's the path for us. There's so many ways we can structure our prayers, Father, but you have it set up so that it works, so that you hear us, you know what our hurting things are, you know what the things we're dealing with every day not only one of us, but all of us. So as we close this service this evening, Father, we ask you to put that in our hearts and in our minds as we come to you in prayer every single day. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.